Say good morning. So many of you are probably familiar with this song. It's called Cornerstone. And it's all about the fact and the truth that we place our hope we place our trust in Jesus, the firm foundation. And so as we just sing this out, let's declare it together that my hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. Than Jesus blood.
that we can come in to this place this morning, just a building, but the body of Christ has gathered here. We know that your spirit is here. And so, Father, we draw from you. We want to hear from you. Father, I just lift up every person here, every person online, the children, the students all around this building, those that are lifting you up all around this community, Father. We just say thank you so much for that blood that you shed for us on the cross. Father, we thank you that you made a way for forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, Jesus, that you connect us to God Almighty. And so, Father, we've come here to celebrate who you are, this most incredible story. It's not really a story at all. It's the truth of your gospel, the truth of who you are, Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray that our hearts will be open, that our hearts will be tender, that our minds will be open to hearing from you. 
And God, I pray that when we leave this place, every person here, we will know that we have been in the presence of God Almighty. So we lift you up and everything that happens here, God, we give you the glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we all pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated, watch this. Hey, Tommy and Eddie here to talk to you about something really great, Palm Sunday. Yeah, that's the Sunday that we paint our palms purple to commemorate King Saul talking to that palm reader lady, and then we wave him in the air. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's yes, not. Yes, it is. No. What Bible do you read? Palm Sunday commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now picture this. Jesus rode in on a donkey while the crowds put their cloaks and palm branches all over the ground, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. That's what I said. That's what I meant. Okay, now picture this. Jesus' popularity was going viral. I mean, he just raised Lazarus from the dead in the same community just a few days earlier. Wait, post-dead Lazarus was maybe at the very first Palm Sunday? Yeah, probably. That's so cool. I bet if he was there, he was probably like, And you're a thriller, thriller, Jesus. You raised me from the dead when you said, Get up, get up, get up, ooh! <laughs> Now, to complete all of this, Jesus needed a donkey. Now, you'd think that a king or a prince would ride in on a horse, but not Jesus. He knew the message that he wanted to send. You see, a donkey represents peace. Anybody riding a donkey represented peaceful intentions. Yeah, it says right here in Matthew 21, it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples to get him a donkey. Yeah. Hey, I wonder which two he sent. Mm, maybe Thomas. I doubt it. I bet he sent Andrew. Andrew would totally do that, and probably... Tony. I bet he said Andrew and Tony. Tony's not a disciple. Oh, sorry. Tony is. Still not a disciple. What translation of the Bible do you read? Jesus needed a donkey, so he asked two disciples to go get him a donkey. He told them they would find one in town, tied there next to a colt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, untie them and bring them to me. And if somebody asks you about it, you tell them the Lord needs them? Jeez. Yeah. What? Well, Jesus told his disciples to go steal a donkey for him. What Bible do you read? It doesn't say that at all. Like, I can't figure this out. I mean, Jesus, he changed water into wine. Cool. He fed the 4,000. He fed right? the 5,000. What? He fed the 5,000. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Not the fourth. It's the 5,000. We're splitting hairs. I'm sorry. Jesus fed a large group of people, and that's cool. He, he healed people with leprosy. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then boom, he's like, hey guys, go steal me a donkey. I'm just saying, I don't think that's very WWJD. The significance of Jesus riding on a donkey, which he did not steal, was to fulfill the prophecy that is found in Zechariah 9.9. Yeah, but... The and the king riding in on a lowly donkey with his way paved with palm branches. The palm branches symbolize triumph or victory. The what? The palm branches. The branches. Palm branches, palm Sunday. I thought it was the palm. They should call it Branch Sunday because that's confusing. We all have palms with us all the time. I just, I feel bad. I, I'm sorry, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a time for us to prepare our hearts for the agony of his passion and the joy of his resurrection. So this week, let's cover the road to the cross with our hearts, our souls, and our minds as we reflect on the final week of Jesus' life. And let's celebrate in anticipation the return of the King of Kings. 
out. So everybody take your palm, wave it in the air, and say, Hosanna. Hosanna. Hey, that looked good. I'm waving back at you. This is the day that we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And the people were all excited about him coming, and it didn't take long for people to turn on him. And we're very much like those people sometimes, aren't we? And so today we're going to remember that and celebrate Palm Sunday. And this whole week, as they said, it's a time to reflect and remember this is Holy Week. And Thursday evening, we're going to come together and we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. And we're going to remember what Jesus did with his disciples on that Thursday before the crucifixion where he was saying to the people, eat my body and drink my blood. And Buddy's going to talk to us about that today. Our uh, what's, uh, what's up, what's, say what? <laughs> I've only been doing this for four weeks now. <laughs> say what? Uh, is, they're talk, it's, go ahead, say it for me. Yes, Jesus said, eat me. Say what? That was pretty gross to a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? But in reality, the disciples didn't understand that night as well. So my encouragement to all of us today is to open our heart and to allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us in a brand new way today. So Thursday evening, we're, we're going to share in that. Invite your friends, come to that, and be ready to remember uh, all that Jesus did that night. And then on Friday night, we're going to have our Walk of Hope. We'll start in the commuter lot, tell you more about that in a second. But then on uh, Saturday evening, we'll have our regular Easter services. And Sunday morning, 6.30, sunrise service. We get to watch the sun come up. It comes right up right over there. And uh, we'll have a time of worshiping him early in the morning. And then our regular services at 9 and 11. But Friday evening, we will have our walk of hope. You know, the world needs hope, don't we? And we need to share with the rest of the world. And I think it's going to be a really, really special time to say uh, this is what life is all about, is to find hope. Watch this. In today's world, hope can seem fleeting, scarce, absent. So many of us have been hurting so deeply for so long that the mere concept of hope is something we dare not wish for. Yet hope is not a luxury. We need hope like we need air. On Friday, March 30th at 7 p.m., we will meet at the Gordon Road Commuter Lot to begin our annual Walk of Hope. We invite everyone, anywhere, to join us as we carry a cross to Salem Fields Community Church. As we walk together as a community, sharing our stories of pain and sorrow and of joy and triumph, real hope will shine despite all of the darkness. The Salem Fields Walk of Hope, sharing real hope with anyone everywhere we want to triple the number of people and we want everyone to know that true hope is found in jesus christ so there are a lot of cards that you could pick up as you walk out just pass those out put them around town give them to your friends invite your friends the best invitation that you can give is face to face uh, a friend will trust you to come and uh, we're trusting how many people have done 401 uh, prayer time uh, set your alarm just this week. Set your alarm for 4:01 in the afternoon, and uh, when it goes off, just if you if you're in an awkward position, uh, just uh, 
in your own little heart and mind, say a prayer for our Easter services that people will be drawn to him. It's been really interesting. This week I had Jody in my office at 401, so we prayed. I had Rich in my office at 401, so we prayed. And uh, it went off in my car as I was driving down the road. And it's really kind of awesome. I came out of my garage at 401 and my alarm was going off, and so I prayed. It's really, really awesome because it's an opportunity for us to kind of crash heaven and say, God, would you just draw people to the truth of your gospel message? So we would encourage you to go to your Facebook page and share that. We just need to get the message out that true hope is found in Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate that at our Easter services. Now, we're going to continue this. We're going to take our tithes and offering this morning. If you're a guest with us today, don't even worry about giving unless you want to. We just encourage people to give and tithe. Uh, tithing is about putting God first in your finances and saying, God, I love you so much that I'm going to give you the first of everything that I have. But truly, we want people to give not out of guilt, not out of duty, but out of a joyful heart. And so we'll take our tithes and offering. We'd encourage you to check into Facebook this morning because it tells your friends you're in church at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and it's a good place to be. The connection card is in there to communicate with us. We're going to continue to worship.
say that's one of our best uh, message bumpers of all time. Good job, Colin and the production team for that. Well, good morning. Man, you know that song we just sang is a powerful song. That is awesome. Uh, that's a message in itself. I am who God says I am, and God says I am a child of God. Ooh, boy, if we could get a hold of that, that we are a child of God. That means the God that created the universe, that hung the stars and the moon and the sky, who sent his son to die for us, I am a child of God. Oh, man, changes life. Hey, well, it's good to have you today on this Palm Sunday. Uh, I missed the snow this week. I was in Smithfield, and Gay, in her wonderful, loving self, sends me this kind of teaser video, because I love snow, and she's doing this video all around the snow on our deck and down in our woods and all that, and so I missed all that snow. Um, I mean, I guess all that it was. That's the best we'll get, I guess, <laughs> this year. But uh, I don't know, in Smithfield, if you've not been around Salem Fields for a long time, Smithfield is a church that closed down, and the Lord uh, kind of laid that on our heart, and it all, the, uh, it all lined up, and anyway, we ended up being given that church and that building and, the, and about 10 acres of property uh, to restart that ministry in Smithfield, Virginia, and we've been able to do that and been working on that for some time now, and this week we did the homeless shelter. Uh, we had a homeless shelter that used uh, the building uh, all winter long, and it'll be this is the last week of that for the winter. And uh, we have a ministry there that's called Community 180. And uh, that uh, Community 180 basically is uh, it's more than a church. Uh, we, uh, we have a ministry there for men. It's called the Garage Ministry. It's been meeting for a long time there in Smithfield. And when uh, we met him and uh, Anthony uh, and his wife, Rachel, uh, Robinette, we uh, brought that ministry to our building there in Smithfield, and God has used that. They've had as many as 150, uh, 140 show up for uh, Tuesday night, and they uh, they normally have about yeah they have about 40 men on a regular basis or so. It's a great ministry. Uh, we have a ministry there to um, uh, for the, for the sense of uh, poverty, meeting the needs of the homeless and others, and working in the schools. We are planning to do Celebrate Recovery and just all kinds of things to uh, reach and impact that community, things that the church is not doing there. And then in the, this fall, September, October, we hope to start a worship service there as well and have a worship service going on with all the other things that's happening there. It's been people really have been asking us to do that. And so it's not something that we set out to do, but it's something we believe the Lord has opened the door for us to do. And... Uh, so we just this week, we purchased a projector and a computer for them, and uh, we did that through your rebuild giving, and I said a lot of that to say thank you for your giving, because we'll be able to use that money, rebuild, to launch that worship service, and we've been able to use it to do a lot of things uh, there in Smithfield. So thank you for that, 
and thank you for your continued giving. We have about one more year left on that, and uh, we hope to uh, raise enough funds to put, pull that off and some other things here. I hope you noticed the band. We finally got it all wrapped up. Did you see it when you came in today? Looks pretty good, doesn't it? And uh, we're getting ready to purchase another van for our students, and uh, all that's from Rebuild. And I just wanted to say on behalf of Gay and I uh, and our staff how much we appreciate that, your faithful giving and helping us do that. Enough of that. We're finishing our series today, uh, Say What? And over the last three weeks, we have looked at some of the tough sayings of Jesus uh, we've looked at the commands of Jesus that sometimes will cause us maybe to scratch our head and say, say what? And uh, in week one, we, Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. And, uh, you know, we're hardly, uh, we're not even that great at loving our neighbors. And then Jesus throws this into the mix that we're supposed to love those that uh, hate us and persecute us. And, and, uh, and then uh, second week, they talked to us about not worrying, do not be anxious. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. It's kind of in our human nature to worry. And, but Jesus is saying, don't worry. And we say, say what? And uh, then last week, uh, she talked to us about not judging. And um, many times when we hear Jesus say these things, as I said, we mutter to ourselves and say what? Nevertheless, these three commands have one thing in common. And that one thing they have in common is they are impossible for us to do in our own strength. There is no way that we can pull these off by having a lot of willpower or sucking it up or doing whatever we do to try to pull those things off. We can't work our way into it. But before we look at this statement, I want to kind of introduce the, uh, the message today. I've had three people try to eat me today. Three. Ooh, lucky penny. Anyway, sometimes I wish I were human. Whoa! Look at me! I'm human! Do you want to eat me? No. Do you want to eat me? No, thanks. No? Would you like to eat me? <laughs> Nobody wants to eat me! I'm the luckiest! You dropped your lucky penny. Man, I look good. You're still short and bald. That's my favorite Super Bowl commercial, and that's the only reason I'm doing this message today is so I could use that. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, I need to give you a little backstory on this whole deal uh, of Eat Me. You know, uh, probably when you read that, some of you might be a little offended. Even when you watch that, you say, why are we talking about that in church? Because when I was in high school, I told a lot of people that. And, <laughs> um, and I wasn't a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was kind of a popular saying back in 1972 at Montevideo High School in Pinlaird, Virginia. Doesn't exist anymore, uh, but probably that was the reason why. But anyway, <laughs> I want to I give you a little backstory. John 6 is what we're looking at today. It's an incredible story, and really you ought to take this story and read it today because it's, a, it's an incredible story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It begins with that. And he takes a few loaves of bread and fish, and you, you probably know the story if you've been around church for a while, where he, you know, he multiplies those uh, few loaves and those fishes, and he feeds 5,000 men, not including children and women. And so we don't know actually how many it fed. But then after he ha uh, has fed them, uh, he sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. But he doesn't cross with them. They go over in a boat, and then he chooses to do only what he can do, and that was walk across 
the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. Now the next day, uh, the crowd uh, that he had fed the, the previous day, uh, they had their bellies full. They went to bed, went to sleep with their bellies full of fish and chips. And, and they wake to find that the disciples and Jesus are gone. They're nowhere to be found. And then they think about it and figure out that he must have gone over to the other side. So they begin to track him down, began to look for him. And the Bible says this, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, when I hear the word seeking Jesus, that seems to me to be a great term. You know, when people say to me, they'll say, you know what, I'm seeking Jesus. I mean, that kind of fires me up because really that's what this ministry is all about for us, and that is that we want people to seek Jesus. When a believer comes to me and, you know, they'll say, man, I'm seeking a deeper walk with the Lord. I mean, I really think that's awesome, and it sounds really spiritual for them to say, uh, for the Bible to say that those, those folks that were on the hillside were seeking Jesus. Jesus. It sounds spiritual. But when they find him, Jesus' response is certainly not what they expected, not what they wanted to hear. He doesn't praise them uh, for traveling across the Sea of Galilee. He doesn't praise them for all the effort and energy they put into that. He doesn't praise them. Rather, he gets down on them just a bit uh, for seeking him. And I think, wow, I thought that's what we wanted uh, uh, because but the fact is, the reality is, uh, they are not seeking him. And I know that's what it says, but rather they are excited about the bread that he had given them. And they were seeking more things like that, things that are perishable. Jesus was a hero to the crowd because just think about it. I mean, they were hungry and he fed them, fed, fed them until they were all full. And the Bible says even there was bread and fish left over. And so he was their hero. But Jesus, being Jesus, discerned something very wrong about their excitement. And they, what he discerned is that they only wanted more fish and chips. You see, they wanted only what Jesus could do for them, but not all of him. They didn't want all of him. They didn't want everything that came with him. They wanted the blessing uh, they wanted the, the blessings Jesus provides, but they really didn't want him in reality, in all of his fullness. Really, all they wanted from him is friend, is, was a friend with benefits. You know, they wanted to, they believed in Jesus, and, and I want you to, I want to be clear today, this message is for those of us who believe in Jesus. They believed in him. They believed in him uh, for the things that he would do for them. You know, really all they wanted was to be a friend with him because being a friend with him meant they had benefits. They had the benefits of knowing him. You see, they didn't want the suffering that comes along with that. They, they didn't want the inconvenience or the cost associated with following him. They only wanted what they could get from him. But they did not want to commit themselves completely to him. They didn't want to go all in. They didn't want to be sold out. They didn't want to take the parts of him that what didn't taste good. 
You see, wanting the blessing of Jesus is not the same as believing fully in him. And that's what I want to try to communicate to you today. There's more to this Christian life than having our sins forgiven. There's more that God has for us than to knowing we've got our ticket punched for heaven. There's more than just having a relationship with him so that we can get what we want uh, from being in a relationship with him. And no doubt Jesus had come to give them bread from heaven, but not that kind of bread. So Jesus began to test them. Test him, he began to make statements that sounded strange. I mean, weird. Think about it. He told them that he was the true bread from heaven that gives life to the world. And he says, whoever, le whoever eats this bread will live forever. Which brings us to our say what statement of the week. Jesus said in chapter 6, verse 51, he said, And the bread of life that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says, eat me. Say, what? Yeah, say, what? This sounds like cannibalism to me. You know, th therefore, like you and I, his listeners kind of cringe. It's like, ugh. You know, and he pressed it even further. He took it another step further, and he said in John 6, 53 through 55, truly, truly, this is what I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Woo. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Not only does he say eat me, but he says to them drink me as well. Drink my blood as well. In other words, Jesus saying yesterday I gave you fish and chips and you received it. But now he says to them, to the believers on the hillside, he said, eat me. Now, then Jesus, I'll tell you, it was at that moment that the Jesus for King campaign imploded. I mean, Fox News did a poll, and I mean, his numbers plummeted. You see, he, he, they wanted him to be their king. They wanted him to rescue him. They wanted him to be what they wanted for him. Like many believers today, we only want what we want from him. And Jesus is saying, drink all of me, eat all of me. You see, they, the people, Jesus did, he went and ruined everything. And the people, like some in, in here maybe today, they walked away shaking their heads, saying to themselves, say what? This man is crazy. He's crazy. When he says, eat my flesh, they completely understood, misunderstood what Jesus was saying. How can they eat his flesh? None of this makes any sense. And, and, and I'm sure if you look at it only in a literal sense, it makes no sense to you as well. Because in their day, the idea of eating flesh and drinking blood is against the law of Moses. Can you blame them? They've been trained, they've been taught to say that drinking blood and eating flesh is against the law of Moses, not to mention how disgusting and gross it is to think that. I mean, what's this guy thinking? And, and when Jesus said, eat me, drink me, he's saying this is the only way that you will experience real life. Not just eternal life, but real life. 
You see, when Jesus said, eat me, drink me, he's saying this to us, saying to us, this is the only way that you'll have real life living in you. You see, for Jesus, eating is believing and drinking is believing, and he promises eternal life to those who believe in him. Believe what? Well, believe that by his death on the cross, the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood, it pays for us the full, it pays in full the penalty for our sin. Now you have to understand sin when you talk about the full, when you talk about the full penalty for our sin. Sin has a twofold nature. There's the sin nature that we're all born with. Every one of us, when we were born, were born sinners. No one had to teach you how to sin. Your parents didn't set you up in the room and say, okay, now you do this and now you sin. It's our nature to sin. And, and there's a penalty of that nature of sin. And then there is the act of sin itself. It's that thing that we do, the thing that we do that we know is wrong, and yet we go ahead and do it anyway. And that happens because of the sin nature in us. And Jesus is saying, I have come to pay the full penalty of your sin, to take it all to take away the penalty for our sin. And this and that and and that act of sin itself and that his perfect righteousness is given freely given to us. In other words what we do, we exchange our unrighteousness, our filthiness, we with Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, the shedding of his blood, we trade our unrighteousness for his righteousness and therefore his righteousness lives in us. Is that clear? <laughs> That's good. I'm not sure I'm clear yet, but anyway, believing this is how we eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. He's saying to us, folks, fish and chips, the things of this world, fish and chips, only nibbling on me, only nibbling on me will leave us empty, hollow, hungry, and powerless. And I got to say, I believe that's the state of his church today. I mean, I think that many of us, we're empty and we're hollow and we're hungry and we're powerless and we're craving for something more. You see, unable to love our enemies, unable to live lies, anxious lies, and, and unable to not judge others. We live powerless and we mutter to ourselves, say what? Anytime Jesus calls us to live and do what seems impossible for us to do. And so we give up and we turn and we walk away. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And I got to tell you, when I read that, that's depressing to me. When I just read that and I really don't understand that, when I really don't eat it all and drink it all, I really don't understand that. You see, these are words that can challenge us to think whether there's life and power living in us. Think about your Christian life. Is it really brought you life, abundant life? Is there a power that lives in you that's greater than he that lives in the world? It may even cause us to ask the question, Am I only following Jesus? Am I only following Jesus because of what he can do for me? Am I nibbling only on what tastes good to me? He's talking about a life that's more than just believing. They believed. 
People on the hillside believed. He's talking about a life that is beyond words. He's talking about a life that's indescribable. And yet we won't experience it unless we eat all of him. Not just a bite that, like, that tastes good, but all of him. Not just the parts that taste good to us or benefits our life. He's saying, eat all of me. When we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we are, for the first time, we will begin to love him so deeply and everything about us begins to die, all of our motives, those things that we thought we could not live without, there's no possible way that I could ever, ever live without this in my life. And God begins to change my heart, to change my motives, to change my desires. And all of a sudden, the things that once were attractive to me no longer, no longer have appeal in my life. Sin has lost its luster. And when we drink deeply of God and take all that he has for us, sin loses its appeal and it's something that disgusts us instead of enticing us because God is doing something in my heart and I can't work for that. You see, what seems so disgusting about eating his flesh and drinking his blood now gives us a taste of what life really tastes like. Life is now bigger. Life is more beautiful. And life is more holy than we could ever imagine. Paul said, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ lives in you? That's a powerful, powerful verse. Just think on that. Do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ lives in you? And when we eat his flesh and drink all of his blood, all the attributes of Christ now live in us. But sadly, most of us try to work to get that. I mean, sadly, most of us spend a lot of time and energy and prayer trying to create this life, trying to create this life that's beyond what we can even imagine. We work hard to try to be holy. We work hard to try to love our neighbor. We work hard to love our enemies and not judge and not be worry-free and not to worry. We try to create the life we want. And yet, in spite of all of our efforts, we live less than fully alive. That's why the outside and the inside of who we are don't match up. No matter how hard we try. You see, we have thoughts like, what am I doing with my life? We wonder if this is all that it will ever be. Does it ever get any better than this? I thought that when I became a Christian, life would be different. It would be better. Is this as good as it gets? Is there more to this life than this? We're sad at what's become of us in our life. Nothing seems to satisfy. Nothing seems to change. Yeah, the pastor said, if I accept God, it'd be this, it'd be that. If Jesus, I invite him in life. And nothing has seemed to change. And we cringe at the thought of loving our enemy. Because we want to hold on to that. We cringe at thinking that to live anxious, free lives, lives and not to judge. Because you know that we just know we can't pull it off in our own strength. And so we cry out, say what? And then we live depressed at what is and what we think will be. And eventually we turn our backs many times and walk away. Oh, maybe we still come to church and maybe we still pray and maybe we still go to small group. 
But in reality, our hearts have turned away because it's made no difference. And we're ready to give up. You know, each one of them described are symptoms that there is no life in us, that we've never experienced Jesus in his fullness. You see, we're dying from the inside out, but don't lose hope. There is a cure for our condition and food for our hunger, and that is the flesh and blood of Jesus, all of it. Jesus is our prescription drug for spiritual health. When we got a problem with our physical health, we go to the doctor, they give us a prescription, we go down to CVS or wherever, and we get that prescription refilled, we take a few pills, and we feel better. And I'm saying to you, if you're ailing spiritually, Jesus is the prescription drug for our spiritual health. You see, he is our life and the means to life that we deeply hunger for. Jesus said in our scripture, and if you read that full passage of scripture, he says we don't work for the life we want. Folks, we cannot work for this life. We cannot do enough. We cannot serve enough. We cannot give enough. We cannot uh, come to church enough. We cannot read the Bible enough. We cannot pray enough. Jesus is saying, what I am offering you, you don't have to work for. He says that we eat and drink for the life that we want. When our hunger for something deeper in the flesh and blood of Christ meet, there is life. You see, when Jesus tells us to eat and drink, he's telling us to take his life into our own lives. And I'm going to tell you, this message is hard to swallow. Because what he's asking us to do is give up our will for his will and, not, and lay our life down and take his life in. You see, and it's hard to swallow that. It's hard to get our minds wrapped around us. You see, he's telling us to take his life into our own lives. And then it says he will abide in us and we will abide in him. You see, the life of God will take up residence in its fullness, in it all the attributes of God will take up residence right in our bodies. In other words, we are what we eat. You eat cheeseburgers, you look like this. You know what I'm saying? But really, I have to do that sometimes, a little comic relief just to get myself to calm down a little bit because I can get all like, y'all see me last night at Saturday night, oh, that was a mess. Um, but when we eat the body of Christ, we become the body of Christ. But we have to eat all of it. We have to eat what comes with it. You have to eat the broccoli as well as the steak. You see, and Jesus says we will no longer be hungry or thirsty for the things of this world that only leave us wanting more. We will now be hungry for the things of God. You see, we will be hungry for a closer more intimate relationship with God. And we'll do whatever it takes. You see, we will be hungry to love our enemies. We will be hungry to live worry-free lives and hungry not to judge others. Once we've tasted the flesh and blood of Jesus, folks, we will be hungry for real life. We'll no longer feast on the fast food of this world. We will, once we've tasted the flesh and blood of Jesus in its fullness, we'll be hungry for real life, real relationships, real truth, real hope, and we'll hunger to do the will of God. Do you have a hunger to do the will of God? 
You see, once we've eaten real bread, we'll never be satisfied with the fast food of this culture ever again. As long as we continue to feast on it. And having, we'll, we'll, we'll be satisfied, never be satisfied with the fast food of this culture and having a Sunday morning relationship with Jesus. And unfortunately, that's what the church seems to me that we have become, that we have a Sunday morning relationship with Jesus Christ. Bishop Michael Marsh, great blog I read, helped me so much to sort this out. He says this, we consume his life that he might consume and change ours. We eat and digest his life, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his way of being and seeing, his compassion, his presence, and his relationship with the Father. And he closes by saying, we eat and drink our way to life and power. How powerful is that? Jesus says he wants to abide in us. And the way that he abides in us is through eating and drinking of him. Not just a bite here and there. Folks, we've gotten so, that's what we want. We take a bite here, and we take a bite there. We go to this church and get a bite. We go to that and get a bite. We go here and get a bite. And that's not what Jesus wants. He wants us to take the whole, eat his body and his blood, drink his blood down to the very last drop, whatever. He wants us to surrender completely to his will, not our will be done. The Apostle Paul, and I've said it in all three services, you need to go see the movie Apostle Paul. It is an incredible, incredible movie. I left there just in like pieces. An awesome movie. But the Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, Paul understood what, it, what Jesus meant when he said to eat and drink his blood, and he did just that, all of it, all of it. The crucifixion, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. That means he has went through some painful, painful things in his life, and he didn't turn around, he didn't walk away, he ate it all. He ate it all. Help us, Lord. Can you imagine, can you just imagine for a moment? You don't even have to imagine it. It's, it can be a reality. Can you imagine God the creator? The God, the creator, the God that took mud and he formed us and he made woman out of the rib of the man and, and he blew life into us and he hung the stars and the moon in the sky and then he sent his son to die for us because he saw that we had no hope. And so he became man and he came down from heaven and he moved right into our neighborhood. And he took on the curse of man. He took our sin. And he died for us. Can you imagine God the creator, our Savior, Jesus Christ and his spirit living and breathing inside your body. Think what that would be like to walk around every day realizing that Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit, lives in us. Think about that on your commute tomorrow. How would that change your home? If, Dad, if you walked in your house and your children knew that, that Jesus was walking into the house because he lives in you, or Mom, how would it change our homes, our marriages, our children? 
You know, think about how, imagine how it would be on your job that when you walked in, when there was a hurting and desperate coworker, instead of judging them, we love them because Jesus lives in us in his fullness. And how about it when it doesn't seem like we can make the house payment? Or things, something's going wrong in our life. How would it be to instead of worry about that, embrace the fact that the God, the creator of the universe, who promised to never leave us or forsake us, and that he would meet all of our needs, not greeds, lives in us. So there's no need to worry. You know, how would it be if you could just imagine the fullness of Jesus lives in you when you're sitting in traffic? That's a test. Whew, that traffic, I don't know how y'all do it. Or riding the VRE, cling, clang, cling, clang. And here comes a freight train, and you got to wait on it. Or sitting in class at school. And when you see that person, that kid that's so hurting, that kid that nobody talks to, what would it be like if you would be Jesus and walk over side that kid and sit down with them in the cafeteria? Or at Walmart? When everybody's banging and knocking and, and you walked in realizing that Jesus lives in you, in his fullness. You know, I asked in the last service, are those Walmart pictures that you see floating around, are they real pictures? I mean, people like that are really at Walmart. I've never seen them. I look for them, believe me, because I think, I want to see that in real life. And somebody told me they had a picture on their phone of somebody in Target like that. I was like, I want to see that picture. Anyway. But in, anyway, think about that. Imagine the greatest love in the whole universe lives in you. Have you ever thought of your life as one of the ways that God lives on earth? Oh, that God walks around in us? It's one of the ways that he, he, uh, he lives on this earth, that he lives in your home, that's one of the ways that he lives in your neighborhood or in our town or in our church, or in our school, or at Walmart, or wherever we're at, that we are his representation. Because we've eaten all of his blood, drank and ate all of his flesh. Once we grab hold of this, then every gathering, every meal, every bite, every word, every action is an opportunity to live a holy life. Because that is what it means to abide in Christ and to have Christ abide in us. That's what it means to bring God's life into your body. Oh, yes, we'll still mess up. I messed up once, twice. <laughs> you know, we still make bad choices. I mean, we're still human beings. I'm not saying that. At the end of the story, though, many people went away angry. Because Jesus wouldn't do what he wanted them to do. and That, that he wouldn't just give them only a nibble at the life they wanted and unfortunately, many people do, today do the same with Jesus. And for that matter, his church. It's so amazing to me how we just so, so easily just throw God and the church under the bus because we didn't get fed the way we, we didn't get to eat what we wanted. He didn't do for us. He didn't answer my prayer. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't. We kind of look at God as this bending machine, in with a prayer and out with an answer we want. But Jesus is not in the business of fulfilling our personal desires. You see, this message is about life. 
about eternal life. It's about abundant life. You know, when we look at eternal life, and we look at eternal life, the meaning of eternal life doesn't just mean the future. We'll miss so many opportunities if we look at eternal life as just waiting to die to go to heaven. No, eternal life means from the moment till whenever. Abundant life. About a life that's more than enough. This is a different kind of hunger that seeks God's will, not our own. You see, this is about seeing others as God sees others. This is a life that sees sin as God sees sin. This is a life that, that, that is more than showing up in a couple hours on Sunday morning at mo a month and, and, and at church. This is more than giving of the 10%. This is giving our whole life. This is a life that's more than serving an hour on Sunday morning. Once a month or so. This is about living our lives for others 24-7. This is about letting God's life take root and grow and bear fruit through each of us as individuals and through all of us together as the church. Can you imagine the power of the church grabbing hold of this life? You see, this is about the bread of life, not the fast food that always leaves us wanting more. So yes, it is impossible to love your enemy. And yes, it is impossible to not be anxious and not to judge until you eat and drink of all of Jesus so that his life and his power fills every part of our hearts and our lives. You see, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. I said that. Now we can say that. I, we can say, I am crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Today is Palm Sunday. We had Palm Saturday last night at church last night. Today's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday represents Jesus' triumphal entrance to Jerusalem to begin his final week of ministry on this earth. But the celebration soon turned ugly. I mean, you just follow the events of this week. I mean, it went from hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord, to crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. It turned ugly. Why? Because they realized he was not their long-awaited king. He didn't come to do for them what they wanted him to do for them. He came to do for us what we needed him to do for us. You see, many that lined the streets on Palm Sunday were just like the people on the hillside in our story who got angry. And they turned away and they were offended because he didn't do for them what they wanted. And the Bible says from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You and I this morning have the same choice, really. I mean, we too can... Walk away from here and say, yeah, that's gross. Or I'll just keep what I have. We can turn away or we can be like Peter who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? What else is there? There's nowhere else we can go to find life, to find real life. Peter's saying there's nowhere else. You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What will you choose today? To continue to feast on the fast food of our culture? Or will you feast 
fully on the flesh and blood of Jesus. It's our choice. It's your choice. But as one of your pastors, I just want to encourage you to choose wisely. Choose wisely. Father, we thank you for this gathering this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. We thank you for your word, Father. We thank you, Father, that it does not go out void. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would surround this place right now, that, God, you would settle in among us at this very moment. And I, I just want to encourage you this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you just know that you know that you know there must be something else. I mean, you're just not living in victory. You're just not living the abundant life. It's not all that you thought it would be. And I'm here to say to you, my friends, it will never be all you thought it would be until you have all of him living in you, until you say, nevertheless, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done, and you surrender fully to God's will. And you can say fully, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life up for me. Seriously, if you want more from this relationship, you have to eat more. You have to eat all of him. Take the good, take whatever comes your way and say, God, I'm yours. I surrender today. Now, with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, I just want to ask you this morning, I just want to give you the opportunity. I want to pray with you today. If, if you say, this is me, this is me, buddy. I mean, this whole message. I mean, you just want more. You need more. You want all of Jesus. With all of our heads bowed and you're willing to surrender to his will. With all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand? Just say, that's me, that's me. All over, wow, praise the Lord. You can put them right back down. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, and you don't have to do this. I'm going to pray for everyone that raised their hand in just a moment. But I think it would be awesome, be awesome to get up out of your chair and come up front and stand as we worship this song together, and then I'll pray for you at the end. If not, I get that. But maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. That's where this all begins. And you've never asked God to forgive you. You've never invited him into your life to be your Savior. Well, maybe you need to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. Just pray that. I believe you are the Son of God. You can pray it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. I believe that you died on a cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus, I'm sorry for all the sins that I've committed. Please forgive me. Just say that. Please forgive me, Jesus. And then invite him into your heart. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart to be my Savior. That's where this, that's where this relationship begins. It's where he forgives you and, and you invite him into your life to be your friend and your Savior. And so after you prayed that, you just say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Now, if you prayed that prayer after service, there's a table out there that says, accepted Jesus. Stop there and talk to them about that. But really, this is about believers going deeper, as deep as you can go, surrendering fully to God. If you raised your hand, 
as we worship. Could we stand together? Sometime during this worship song, maybe you just would like to walk up front and just say, God, I'm committed. We'll pray together, and then we'll go home, okay? Let's sing together. Let's worship together. You know, all of you that have walked up front today, man, God sees the sincerity of your heart. He knows he, everything that you need today, as this song said, he's done for us on the cross. And when you walked up here today, what you were saying to God, here's what I want you to know that you were saying to God, God, I give up. God, I surrender. God, I commit my life fully to you. And God, 
Nevertheless, God, no matter what comes my way, not my will be done, but your will be done. And God has a power. He fills us to overflowing with his presence and gives us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And how do I get that? You receive that power by faith. You just receive it right now. You just say, God, I want all of you. I receive it right now by faith. We're saved by faith. And we're filled by his spirit. We're empowered. The word we're thinking about is sanctified, set apart for God's use, filled with his spirit so that you can live the life abundant that he has for you. And when you stepped out of your chair, folks, I'm telling you, you stepped into a new life. You have to receive that right now. Just say, God, I receive all that you have for me. And you receive that by faith. Because everything we did was done for us on that Easter weekend by his death and his resurrection. Father, thank you for those who have stepped forward, for those that raised their hand. God, we pray your Holy Spirit would just do what only you can do in our hearts and lives today, Father, for those who courageously walked down their seat and walked to the front of this room, or God raised their hand, they took a step of faith, God. And I pray that you will reward their faith with your fullness of your spirit, God. That you would do something today that's that's indescribable. Father, that they would begin to see things happen in their life that they only dreamed of, that their motives would change and their heart would be filled to the fullness of your righteousness, Lord, that your unrighteousness would be done with in their life, God, that their unrighteousness and filled with your righteousness. God, do it in all of us, I pray. Father, I just thank you again for your faithfulness, your spirit, and I just pray that you would walk with these folks this Easter week in a way they've never experienced Easter before. And God will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. It was great seeing you here today. Let's invite, invite, invite. Let's fill this place up for Easter and pray that many people will give their life to Christ. Okay? Everybody going to invite somebody? All right. Two people. Good. We'll have four here. God bless you guys.